Hello, I'm Rick Lancaster. Thank you for tuning in. Grab your Bible as we study through God's Word together. It's my hope that as we go through these messages, that we will all grow in our understanding of God's Word. As we grow in our understanding, we'll also be better equipped to glorify God, bless others, and grow faith ours and others. If you have any questions about anything in this teaching, send me a message. I would love to connect with you. With that said, let's get into the Word and see what the Spirit would say to us today. If you know me, you know this is not the voice I normally bring to the pulpit, so I ask you to bear with me, and and I pray we actually get to the end of it. <clears throat> Many of you, if, if you're in a Christmas Eve service, yeah, you probably already know the Christmas story. You know, we have, you know, we do Christmas Eve services, and uh, I was trying to think back. I've done, I don't know, 18 or 19 of them now, and I, and I, I love Christmas Eve. It's my, one of my favorite of the holiday services to do, and um, we, we typically teach out of Luke chapter 2. And we're going to do that again tonight, just in case you're wondering. But we decided to do something a little bit differently uh, tonight. You know, we, we pull out many of these Christmas songs, these Christmas carols. And if you're like me, you've been singing them for a long time. And uh, even before I was saved, I was singing Christmas carols. And I was singing some of these same songs, you know, Silent Night. <clears throat> I was an unbeliever and still singing right along with it. It didn't really mean anything to me. And so what we decided to do this year is to take some of these, some of these songs, these Christmas carols, and look at them and kind of unpack them and see what is, it, what is the message that these songs are communicating. Some of them are some radical, radical messages. Jesus is the reason for the season. Thank you very much. We celebrate Christmas to remember the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. That, that we all know that. And tonight, we're going to look at um, another of the classic Christmas carols. Uh, we did one on, on last Sunday. We did Joy to the World. We're going to do, do Silent Night tonight. And we're going to pray, and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we do come thanking you for your presence here today. And I thank you for these, those that are here right now. I thank you for those who are watching online right now. I especially want to lift up Randy and Debbie to you. As uh, um, Randy texted me and told me that they have the flu, um, which is, I'm sure, even less fun than having a cold. And so we just lift them up to you and pray for your touch upon them. We ask, Lord, as we look at this, this song, this Christmas carol, that you would open it up to us so that the next time we sing it, it would mean something totally new and different to us. We praise you, we love you, and we lift it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. The lyrics of Silent Night were originally written as a poem. Excuse me. By Joseph Moore in 1816. And they were put to music by Franz Gruber in 1818, not to be confused with Hans Gruber, who was the villain in the Christmas classic Die Hard. <laughs> so if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2. 
We don't know what motivated Joseph Moore to, to write Silent Night, but we do know that it's based on this classic Christmas text, Luke chapter 2. Most times, this is the text we go to. There are a couple others we go to sometimes. We go to Isaiah 9 sometimes. We go to Matthew 2 sometimes. A lot of other ones, but this is the classic one. And so, and we're, and so we're going to focus on this one. So we're going we're gonna to look at each line of this song and then talk about it. So the very first line of this song is silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Now, before we go and continue on too far, we need to remind ourselves these are songs. They're written by men. Yes, they did draw things from, but there's some creative license in some of these things. We're going to see that in a couple of places here tonight. We get a sense here that Jesus is born at night. Um, in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Now there were shepherds, now they're in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. So as Christ is being born, he's being born at night. Now we, as a culture, we celebrate Christmas when? In the morning. That's when we do it. And, and that's okay. You know, we don't, have to, we don't have to get religious about any of these sorts of things. But this is why I like doing Christmas Eve services, because... Jesus was born at night, and so it just, it, to me, it fits better. Now, we're told that the night was quiet, was silent. That probably wasn't silent in the stable where Jesus was being born. That is probably not a quiet place, but the world around the stable was very quiet. And we, if we combine the description in the second part of that first line, holy night, then it might give us an idea why it was so quiet, why it was silent. First, this was a holy night. It was a night that God made sacred, and he set apart for his use. He brought into the world the Savior of all humanity. That's a special night. The silence was a sign of, of, of the reverence we ought to have about the event. It was a sign of how solemn an occasion it was. You know, the, you know if you talk about, there's a place in Scripture in the book of Revelation where, where we get a sense of, of heaven as a noisy place. There are people praising God and you know, declaring his majesty, almost continu- continues to sound like, but there's a moment in there where all of heaven is silent for 30 minutes. And that points to a very solemn thing that was about to happen. Second, not only was this a solemn event, but it also points to the world's awareness of this event. How many people knew the Savior of the world had just been born? Well, we know there are two people, but they may not have known, may not have known, thank you, as it's a well, well-discipled child. And, but they may not, may not have known the importance of it, not really, even though they both had been given information about it. It probably wasn't, probably took a while for it all to settle in with them. No one seems to notice as God in the flesh comes into the world. The world is so quiet about this monumental event that God breaks the silence by sending an angel to proclaim it. 
just so that someone knows. The one line with creative license there is always bright. And I'm pretty sure it's just in there so that it rhymes with night. So we can, we can move on from that. We don't have to give that one any, any more information. The next line. Round, yon, virgin, mother, and child. Two of the key doctrines of Christianity are the Immaculate Conception and the Virgin Birth. Two doctrines that, that we will that we'll stand on that hill and die on that hill because they're so important to what we believe. Before, before Mary conceived, an angel came to her and said to her that she was going to conceive a very special child. She was going to conceive the Son of God. Back it up in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says this, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she... When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? Mary had never been with a man, and so the idea of conceiving apart from a man didn't make sense to her. Verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that holy one who is, in, who is to be born will be called the Son of God. This is the immaculate conception that when, when Mary conceived, it wasn't, by, it wasn't with the assistance of a man. It was with God personally and, and powerfully moving in her. Well, this created a problem for Joseph, for her fiancé, Joseph, because, you know, he hadn't been with her. And she gets pregnant, and he's got to wonder, okay, well, what's going on here? And, uh, and an angel comes and explains it to him in Matthew 1, 24 and 25. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him to his wife, took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So Mary remains a virgin until after Jesus was born. Another one of those doctrines that we feel very strongly about. She and, she and Joseph would go on to have other children um, in the natural way, uh, but Jesus was different. The next line of our, of, our, of our song, holy infant, so tender and mild. You know, we're talking about the birth of Christ so we know Jesus didn't show up, you know, in the land as a full-grown man. That's actually one of the one of the one of the doctrines, one of the beliefs of some of the Jewish scholars believe that the Messiah would just appear as a full-grown man 
in, in the temple. That's not how it was planned. Jesus came as a humble, helpless babe to poor parents. The word mild here points to how he would be with other people. In Isaiah 42, verse 3, it says this, A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, and he will bring forth justice for truth. A a bruised reed and smoking flax were both very delicate and fragile. And he was saying that when he dealt dealt with them, he wouldn't break them. He He wouldn't quench them. So Jesus was, would have this, this ability to be tender and mild to people. He could, be, he could be strong where he needed to be strong, but with most people, if you look at the way he dealt with most people, you know, most of the, you know, the common people, those people who just didn't really know any better, he was always tender and mild. Even with people that had done you know, really bad things, he still dealt with them very tenderly and mildly. One of the doctrines we also believe in is that Jesus was God from the beginning of time. There's never a time where Jesus wasn't God. And that includes um, from the beginning of time, at his conception, at his birth, in, in his, through his life, and then ultimately his physical death. And interestingly, he didn't, you never see him demanding his rights. He's both king and lord. He's savior, he's messiah. And yet he was always gentle, always mild. He had come to humbly serve God by serving his creation. And we see him doing that over and over again. Then it goes on to say, the song goes on to say, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. There are some aspects of Christ's life that are mysterious. You know, I don't know if you ever, you ever read the Bible and you come to something, I really wish I knew more about that. You know, I, wish, I wish I had more information about that thing. There's quite a few of those in there. But one of those is Christ's childhood. We have almost no information about his childhood. <coughs> Excuse me. There he lay. God in the flesh. A newborn babe wrapped in swaddling cloths in a manger. How is it that he was God and baby? How, how, was, how, did that, how did that work? What did that look like as he was growing up? What, how, did, how did he relate to his parents? We, we had only little glimpses of that. And one of the traits that we see manifested throughout Christ's life is, is peace. At the age of 12, one of the few accounts that we have of his childhood he was separated from his family for about three days. Now, most 12-year-olds, you know, that might not be that easy of a thing for them to deal with as, you know, he's, he's, he's 70-some-odd miles from home and his folks leave and leave him there. And then they, they come back a few days later to find him. But when they did find him, he was sitting with the religious leaders talking with them about the things of God. Another picture we have of that is when he was with the disciples in a boat. Another one of those famous accounts in Mark chapter 4 verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let's cross over to the other side. Now when they had left, 
the multitude. They took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You know, the world is storming and raging all around them, and Jesus is at perfect peace because Jesus knew how that story was going to end. He knew that they were, he, he told them to go to the other side. He knew they were going to get to the other side. They didn't know that. And then the ultimate expression of peace is as we watch and hear about his peace throughout the trials and ultimately the beatings, the scourging, and then the crucifixion. As Jesus lay there, this little baby, there was a heavenly peace about him. There was a peace that he would later promise to anyone who would believe in him. In John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus said, hey, I give you my peace. The world doesn't have this kind of peace. And we know that. We can see that as we go through and, and I mean, gosh, just go to the grocery store right now. I mean, it's kind of hard to be at peace in the grocery store on Christmas Eve. It'll be even worse tomorrow if they're even open. I don't know. Jesus, as that newborn babe, was at peace. Now, some say that Jesus didn't cry as a baby. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm buying that. Babies cry. It's how they communicate. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't like all of our babies were. Well, at least Kelly's babies. They were crazy. The next lines. Silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight. Glory stream from heaven afar. Heavenly host, sing alleluia. This, this scene is described to us here in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living on the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The silence of that night, as these shepherds are out in the fields, and you can imagine it, you know, they're out there the night, the, the, the flocks are bedded down, everything is quiet, they're sitting around the fire doing what shepherds probably do, telling telling silly stories when they're, you know, they're gathered around, and all of a sudden, the, the, the sky is illuminated, and this glorious angel comes. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel uses three titles to describe this newborn babe, and we gotta, when we're thinking about Christmas, and we're thinking about about what this event means and what it entails, we've got to remember these titles. These are Savior. This little baby is the Savior of the world. That little baby in that moment of time 
wasn't even able to save itself, ultimately had to be you know, protected by his parents. And God wasn't going to let anything happen to him. But the point is that you know, he was a helpless babe, and yet he was the savior of the world. And though many were waiting for a savior, Jesus wasn't really the kind of savior they wanted. They wanted a savior who would save them from their human enemies. Jesus didn't come to do that. He will do that. He will come to do that. But that's in the future. He came to save us from the greatest enemy of humanity, and that is sin. First Timothy 1.15, it says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That babe, wrapped in swaddling cloths, is the savior of the world. He also used the title Christ, which means anointed one, <clears throat> chosen, chosen by God, with a purpose, that Jesus was born, he came, he lived for a reason, for a purpose. And then ultimately, the word, and then the third one was Lord, sovereign ruler over everything. And as we take time and think about Christmas, which we should, you know, I, I think we should get really engaged in the celebration. Do that. Do all the traditions. Do all the stuff that, that you know, that, we love doing around this time, but we ought to pause and reflect upon what this thing, what all this stuff means. You know, do I, do I relate to Jesus as my Savior? Now, you know, I let him save me from my sins. You know, I'm, I'm a believer, so I'm going to heaven. But, you know, am I going to, you know, am I, am I trusting him to save me from this voice? You know, am I trusting him to get me through the next day? Am I trusting him to, you know, to help me with all the things? He is, he is there to save us until he takes us home to be with him. Do I treat him as the Christ, as the anointed one, holy in God's sight? And maybe the hardest one of all, is he my Lord? Is he Lord of all of my life, of my marriage, of my family, of my finances, of my health, whatever it might be? Is he Lord? So this angel comes and makes this big declaration, and as if that angel was not enough, um, there's more. But wait, there's more. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. In, in that short, brief little message, this multitude of heavenly hosts, angels, this multitude of heavenly beings, communicates what this child will grow up to accomplish. Yeah, many of us had, have had children. And when, you, when your children are really small, you never know what they're going to be. You know, you have this idea of what they might be. You have this idea of how they might turn out, and, you know, hopefully it's good. Hopefully it's not, you know, hard or bad. And, and we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. But when this child was born, 
He was ordained with a very specific purpose, and he walked the path exactly as God laid it out for him. Now, I believe all of our children are ordained. There are obviously some other things factor into that, but from the very moment of his birth, his life was laid out, and he was going to follow that to the very end because he knew who he was. He knew what his purpose was, and he knew that he had to do every single thing. He says, it's, I, I do what the Father wills. You know, he, he, he lived to please God the Father because he knew that was the only way to save humanity, to save us. He will bridge the impulse, impassable gulf between holy God and sinful man. John 14, 6 says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, we believe there's only one way to God. There's actually only one way to heaven. Everybody's going to meet God. But there's only one way to heaven, and that is through Christ. As Jesus hung on the cross, symbolically, he had one hand raised to the Father and another raised to humanity. And he's the only way to bridge the gap. He's the only way to get from where we are today as we are helpless, lost in sin. Only he, only by taking his hand, believing in him, can we have that precious gift of eternal life. The hope of the whole world. I mean, the image the imagery of here is, is so radical. The hope of the whole world was wrapped up in this tiny little bundle. All of humanity now has a chance to be right with God and to, and to spend an eternity with God in heaven. And the next lines declare that truth. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. When we celebrate Christmas, that's what we're celebrating. Christ the Savior is born. We're going to do all the festivities. We're going to do all the traditions. We're going to do all that stuff that we like to do. But the reality is, in the end, Christ the Savior is born. One of the things we did when our children were small, just to try to focus them for like one minute on Jesus before you know, we got to the, you know, the important things, um, is we would take the baby Jesus out of our nativity and hide him. And we'd make them find him, make them find Jesus before they could open any presents. And, you know, when they're small, we didn't make it too hard for them. And we never made it too hard for them to find him. But the point was, we want you to think about what this is. And we should think about that. Let's have our traditions, but it's not in lose sight of what's really important here. The next line, silent night, holy night, son of God. Loves pure light. Another one of the elements of, and I've talked about it quite a bit already tonight, one of the doctrines that we believe is that Jesus is God. He's always been God. He was with the Father in the very beginning, and he was God in that manger. He was God as he walked through the world. He was God on the cross, and, and he's God with the Father again in heaven. And even though Jesus took on human flesh, 
He never stopped being God. Now, the Bible tells us that he, that he set aside some of his, his, his attributes or, or his, his um, um, yeah, whatever. My brain is freezing. Um, he never stopped being God. It's another mystery of the incarnation of Christ Jesus. How, how is that even possible? How is it possible that, that God can be a man? How, how is it possible that can, God can be one of his creations? It doesn't make logical sense. And let me help you out here. The only way to make sense of it is to be God. And since none of you are that or will be that, um, it's not, it doesn't have to make sense to us. It's a mystery. Love's pure light. Jesus told us why God sent him. And, you know, that, that verse you see at every football game, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I can remember as an unbeliever seeing John three sixteen held up in the, you know, in the end zones. Thinking, what does that mean? It meant absolutely nothing to me. I just felt the whole thing out to me. Maybe it'll help me. Maybe not. Kelly told me. I just wouldn't listen. It was because of God's love. It was because of God's love that, that, that he sent his son. It was because of God's love and, and Christ's love that he came and did what he did. Everything that Jesus did, everything that God does is motivated by love. That is the very nature of God. God cannot do anything apart from love we can get into some deep theological stuff, but we're not going to do that tonight because it's Christmas Eve. But it's all about love. God loved us. That's why Jesus was born, lived, and that's why he died. Pure speaks of Christ's perfection. He was, perfe- he was perfect from the moment of his birth throughout his entire life and right through his death and resurrection. Light points to truth specifically God's truth. Christ was the embodiment of God's truth. Now, next comes a line that is creative license again. Radiant beams from thy holy face. Jesus did not glow in the dark. (laughs) This is only on there because it rhymes with the previous line or with the next line. Only on the Mount of Transfiguration do we see something that might even approach this. As he took on his glorified state, it's only then that we see that. But here, the Bible tells us that in many ways, you wouldn't even have noticed him. You could, you could walk by him on the street, and you would not have recognized that he was anything special. Of course, once he started healing the sick and raising the dead, it'd be kind of hard to miss him. But to look at him, you wouldn't know. In the garden, when, when he was betrayed, they needed, to give, they needed to give the soldiers a signal so they know who to capture, who to take. It's an interesting image, but highly unlikely. So I say some of these songs, yeah, the theology on some of these lines may not be that great. <coughs> Excuse me. It's the next line. really is the important line of this whole thing. 
with dawn of redeeming grace. The birth of Christ marks the beginning of a new age, the age of grace. And not just any grace, redeeming grace. In Titus 2, 11 to 14, it says this, for the grace of God, which is the unmerited favor of God, and we don't deserve it, and we can't earn it, that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our hope is that Jesus is going to come back and get us. We, we, we live with that living hope, blessed hope, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. We could take a whole message just on that text alone. We need to be redeemed. We need redemption because we, all of humanity has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody's blown it. Everybody's made their own choices. Everybody's decided to do their own thing at some point in life. And God says that that's not the way he created us. That's not, that's not his plan for us. And so he had, to, he had to redeem us. And the problem is that once we realize that we're in that place, we should also realize that there's nothing we can do to, to redeem ourselves. We are hopelessly lost. Nothing, no good amount, no great gifts or sacrifices on our part can make up for what we've done. We need grace because there's nothing we can do to save ourselves jesus lying there again the imagery there is so profound he is redeeming grace lying there the world doesn't know that the world didn't know that as that little baby was there and and he would grow up it wouldn't be until much later that they finally really got it Last lines, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Lord is, is the supernatural master of all creation, including all of humanity. And while we don't normally think about that at Christmas time, we don't normally pause and think about Jesus as Lord, as he's that, that tiny baby in that manger. But we need to remind ourselves of that because it's it's vitally important that we do that. There's some pretty lofty titles that you see in, in just this one song of this little baby. But in reality, all of those titles fall so short. He is so much more than that. This humble babe in the major. He is so much more than our human words can express. David, are you making your way up here? He disappeared. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up. David. He just took off. I thought he was getting ready to come up. Here he is. As we celebrate Christmas, let it be about Jesus and a reminder for all of us of what he's done for us. Let our gift giving be an expression of our gratitude for the gifts that have been given to us, the gift of eternal life. And as we gather as family and friends, let it remind us that we are part of the family of God because on a silent night, 
in the quiet town of Bethlehem, our Savior was born. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you were with us tonight. I thank you, Lord God, while my voice didn't clear up, I was able to get through to the end. Lord, it's an expression of your grace and love for all of us. And I pray, Lord, as we leave this place and as we prepare to sing this song one more time, Silent Night, that it would remind us of that little baby in the manger and all that he is to us. That we would take that time and allow the reality of who Jesus is. And we'd remind ourselves how how radical it is that God took on human flesh. I thank you, Lord, for these, your people. I pray for your blessing over them. And Lord, I believe it's important for us all to know that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if there is anyone here who's never opened their heart to Jesus, you came in the world to save us all. And you don't want to leave anyone behind. You came into the world so that we can know your love, so that we can know your peace, so that we can know your hope, so that we can be right with God. And so if anyone's here and they've never received Christ as their Savior, I pray they would open their hearts right this very moment. They put their trust in you, admitting that they've tried to live this life without you and desiring on this precious night, this silent night, that we would, put our, we would put our faith in you, Jesus, and we would trust you for every step, every breath, everything in our lives. I ask, Lord God, as we go out of this place, as we go out this evening, this night, that we, we would remind ourselves that you were born so that we could be saved. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. And we give this night to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child holy infant so tender and mild sleep in heavenly peace sleep in Silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight, glory stream from heaven afar, heavenly hosts sing Christ the Savior is born, Christ the Savior is born.
Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. It's one of my core beliefs that the Bible or Word of God has the power to transform our lives. It's my hope that these messages will help you to do just that and to glorify God and bless others and grow faith. If there's anything that we can do to help you with that, don't hesitate to connect with me. You'll find ways to do that in the show notes. In the show notes, you'll also find links to my sermon notes and other resources to help you in your study of God's Word. Sometimes we do need help to grow in our faith. If there's anything that I can do, don't hesitate to connect with me. I love talking to God's people about God and his word. So send me your questions and I'll do my best to answer them. This message was shared at Calvary Chapel, French Valley in Murrieta, California. If you'd like more information about the church, go to calvaryfv.com. The link is in the show notes. Until next time. Stay in the Word and have a radical week with Jesus. Jesus.